I did have a surprisingly good reading month. I read six books. I'm which happy is not for bad. you. Thank you, thank you. But there were some very quick reads in here as well. So it didn't feel like I did a lot of reading. I read three of my four books in about a week. Yeah, I noticed. I was keeping track of your reading during, through your Instagram stories. And I was like, she's a machine. What am I doing with my life? Well, it didn't last. It, it never does. It was just a short burst. <laughs> it never does. Welcome to Broken Spines at the End of the World, the podcast where we talk about everything book related. Today we do our reading wrap up for the month of August. Sarah got quite a lot of books read. Me, not so much. But what else is new? Well, I read six, six books, but I only really have five to talk about because one of them was just not very interesting. Okay. Um, it was called On the Hawk by Maggie Stiefvater, which is the continuation of a series. Like it's the second series to the Raven Cycle Boys, and it is just really boring. Mm. It wasn't bad enough for me to hate, which is a shame because that makes it fun at least. Yeah. Um, but it also just wasn't really good. And I was really hoping that it would be good because I love the Raven Cycle, but it just wasn't for me. I only ever read like the first book of the Raven Boys, I think. And then I started the second one and just didn't care. So I stopped. Yeah, I see that happened with this one. I just didn't care and I should have stopped, but I didn't. Should I talk about a second one? As yes. Well? And then we switch to you. Because the second one is also one that I'm only going to talk about shortly. It was a nonfiction, okay. but a German nonfiction. It's called Radikale Zärtlichkeit by, who wrote it? Sheida Kurt. Translated, it means radical tenderness. And she talks about how love is always political and why love is always political. And it's really, really good. She talks about romantic love monogamy and polyamory but also friendship and companionship and family chosen family all that stuff any kind of relationship that you can have and how you always have to look at your relationships in terms of power structure mm -hmm. and how in our society the power structure is always rooted in capitalism and sexism and racism colonialism ableism and it is just she's so smart mm -hmm. She's my age and she's so much smarter than me. I learned a lot reading that book or list I listened to the audiobook. So listening to the book, I learned a lot. Lately, I've been reading a lot of nonfiction, especially feminist nonfiction. And a lot of stuff is stuff I already know, but it's always good to have a reminder mm -hmm. um, and to actively remember again what you actually want out of the relationships you have in your life. And there's always something you learn or something you realize you should unlearn and relearn. I like it whenever I have um, the energy to read nonfiction. I don't read a lot of nonfiction. I have one on my list, though. It's like the first nonfiction that I've read in a long, long time. But that's the last one on my list, so you'll have to wait. <laughs> oh, a teaser. I know. That is only accessible for people who speak German, so sorry. Maybe it will be translated, though it is on all the bestsellers at the moment, mm -hmm. at least in the German-speaking countries. But it sounds really interesting. Like, it's a very interesting topic. It is. It is. It's definitely is. Okay. So learn German and then read it. I'll, uh, I'll think about it. Yeah, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> she lies, ladies and gentlemen. She lies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The first book that I read in August was On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. I'm swaying because I'm <laughs> in love for those who can't see me, which is everyone. I remember us talking about it when I was in Switzerland and we were uh, wandering through the bookshop before I had to catch my train home. And then a week or two later, I came across it in a bookshop here in Belgium and I knew I had to buy it at some point. So... I just bought it. And I mean, immediately... I was going to force you to read it at some point. Anyway. <laughs> I finally did. Uh, in case you don't know what the book's about. The narrator is called Little Dog. And he writes a letter to his mom. But his mother can't read. So he knows that she will never actually read what he writes. So he talks very openly about his family. And how they suffer from PTSD. Because they lived through the Vietnam War. It's about abuse and trauma. 
It's about being an immigrant in the US. It's about identity and love and friendship and loss. So it's just about life. It's very sad at points. It's also very beautiful and even happy at some other points. The overall tone of it is sad though, because a lot of sad stuff happens. We <laughs> wonder why I love it. Yeah. I think what I like best about the whole book was how the sentences flow, because we've talked about this before. It's basically just a very long poem. It's very lyrical. It's very honest and very raw. And it's like a poem that rips your heart out and then throws it onto the floor. Stomps on it for good Stomps on it. Yep. It's not a book that I can say much more about because there's not really any plot because it's just this son writing a letter to his mother and his life is the story but he circles back a lot and like tries to make his point sometimes a little bit too much that was the only thing that I didn't necessarily like about it is that sometimes he like repeats himself and it just felt to me like he was trying very hard to get the point across or like he was trying very hard to sound smart but that was the only thing. And that only happened like a couple of times near the end as we were reaching the, the climax of the story. So if you're still uh, debating whether you should read it or not, I think you should. Because you should. It's, it's a very specific way of telling a story, one that I haven't come across, I don't think ever, actually. It's a dreamlike way of telling a story. Or yeah. that's how it felt to me. And I remember reading it, I felt a lot for the, the main narrator, of course, but also for his mother, mm -hmm. um, because we learn a lot about her life as well. Yes. And all the hardship that she had to go through. At the same time, you have this depiction of, of love between this mother and the son, mm -hmm. but also all the negative aspects of their relationship are told without holding back. It's very, very honest. If you're into lyrical writing, you should read it. Definitely. I'll continue <laughs> with one that I read that is actually also pretty lyrical. It doesn't, language-wise, does not hold a candle to Ocean Wong, but still. And that's Ghost Forest by Pik Shrin Fong. It's her debut, I think, and it is stunning. She's a Chinese-Canadian writer, and we follow the main character, who is also Chinese-Canadian, while her father is dying mm -hmm. and her father is so-called astronaut father which is what they call the fathers who stayed in hong kong around 1997 when hong kong was handed over to china fathers would stay in hong kong to work because while their families emigrated to mostly north america i think because they were afraid or they were unsure of what's going to happen in hong kong so the families left but the fathers would stay because they knew that at the new place in the new country, they would not get a well-paid job because they don't speak the language. Yeah. So that changes the relationship between father and children, right? When you don't live in the same country anymore. Mm -hmm. And you follow along her perspective while he's in hospital. And the fact that the family doesn't really talk about emotions or feelings or fears or wishes or wants or anything. So it's very difficult for her to express what she's feeling when she sees her father in the hospital. At the same time, we get to know her life through her memories, but also through memories of her mother and her grandmother. And the whole book is told in sequences, very short, very poetic sequences, which makes it a very fast read, but also very emotional because every memory that you read is told out of the perspective of that person who has the memory. So it goes very close to heart. I especially love how she depicts the lack of language that she has to talk about emotions within the family. Mm -hmm. When her father is in hospital, she wants to tell him that she loves him because she asks for time off to go see him. And her boss tells her, yeah, sure, take time off, go tell your dad you love him. And she realizes that she's never actually done that before. She's never told her father that she loves him. And she doesn't know how. So she calls her friends in like her childhood friends from Vancouver and asks them if they've ever told their parents that they love them and if they ever did so in Chinese and that really struck a chord with me because I think it's very difficult in some languages to express 
yourself or more difficult in some languages than it is in others mm-hmm. for me for example it's i have um, a much easier time expressing my emotions when i speak in english than when i speak in my mother tongue which is german yeah i feel the same way maybe it's also because the relationships that i have that actually allow for like an emotional emotional openness and rawness are with people that i speak to in english so maybe i just don't have to practice in german i read it in one sitting because it's short and because i could not stop i think that's like the the biggest compliment you can give a book i never wanted it to end or like i couldn't stop reading it yeah i think so so everyone go read it well worth your time well i have the opposite of that because my next (laughs) book i did not like it is a malibu rising by taylor jenkins reed controversial opinion coming in yes this book is pretty well known it's about four siblings who throw a party every year and like all of the celebrities from hollywood or wherever flock to it because it is the place to be and throughout the book we just follow them like over the course of 24 hours leading up to that party and stuff gets revealed basically i did like the seven husbands of evelyn hugo i read that a couple of years ago and i flew through it that's like the kind of book where i didn't want to put it down i really liked it and then daisy jones and the six came out and everyone raved about it and i was a bit meh Mm. like I read it very quickly because it's like interview format so it reads very quickly but I didn't connect with any of the characters so after reading that one I was a bit more careful (laughs) so then this book came out also can I just say where is the book about number five because we have the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo we have Daisy Joes and the six and now it's about four famous siblings (laughs) Where's the book about number five? That doesn't work for my brain. I need a book about number five if we are going to continue on. Because if the next one is about something three, I'm going to lose my shit. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I didn't like this book is twofold. To start, maybe I should like explain my personal experiences a little bit to give it a bit of context. In this book, the four siblings grew up without their dad because he left them or he left their mother to be with someone else and that someone else turned into several someone else's when I was 18 my parents got a divorce and I was studying in Ghent so away from home and I only went home during the weekends and then one weekend I got home and my dad had packed up all of his stuff and left without saying goodbye He was just gone and I haven't seen him since. And it's been 13 years. Wow. Okay. He's been gone almost as long as he was actually around. So he is not part of my life. And I'm so used to it that I don't really miss him being around. When uh, I read a book that's full of awful male characters who cheat on their wives or their girlfriends or treat them like crap. And then they find out that the grass isn't greener somewhere else. And they come back expecting to be forgiven for everything, for the pain that they caused, or who are even so self-centered that they don't even realize what pain they caused. That was just a bit much (laughs) for me to read because I couldn't help but connect it to my own experience. And the thing is, in the book, at least the first couple of times, they are forgiven and I didn't like that (laughs) because you had a very strong female character, the mother, who then just loses all of her characterization the moment that he is back knocking on her door. And I just hated that she wrote this character that I actually liked that then completely disappears because of men. That just didn't work for me at all. 
And other than that, not taking into account my personal experience, I think I still wouldn't have liked it. Or it would have been another meh kind of book like Daisy Jones had been. Because we have four siblings that we follow. And then we also have flashbacks where we follow the parents. And then there are some extra chapters in there where we follow completely random people. It was just too much because we follow so many different characters. We don't get any depth, like we don't get any background. I didn't like any of them. Like I didn't care about any of them. That's the worst. Yeah. Not liking is one thing, but not caring. Yeah, I didn't hate them or anything. They just didn't do anything for me. I finished the book hoping that things would be better. And then they weren't because I actually remember rolling my eyes at the end of the book. <laughs> like when it all sort of comes together, I was really close to just throwing the book out of a window or something and just stopping. But I was like, no, it's only 20 more pages. I oh, need see, to finish this book. Have. Yeah, it it did no, nothing really happens. There are a lot of moving parts that amount to nothing, which is yeah, a shame. Also, I think it just tells that, that the story did not touch you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you really like this book, <laughs> I am not saying that you shouldn't like it or anything. I ju- I'm just saying that I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. You do your next one. Okay, moving on from one horrible male character to the next one. Um, I read A Dowry of Blood by S.T. Gibbons. It's a story of a toxic relationship. Great. Um, we follow Constanta, who is a girl. I don't know if we know her name when she was human. Constanta is her vampire name. She's getting raped and then left for dead that is when the vampire guy swoops in and saves her by changing her Mm -hmm. and then he takes her along he makes her his wife and they live out the centuries together eventually they get some other people into the marriage as well like a second wife and second husband Um, but basically they live very isolated from everyone because he keeps telling her we're vampires we can't mingle with humans that doesn't work and we follow her when she slowly realizes that he is actually the one putting up all the rules and keeping all the information to himself and only sharing as he sees fit also Mm -hmm. about who they are if there's other vampires out there how exactly all of this works and he is textbook narcissist the relationship is horribly toxic and she realizes that with ta- with time and she notices all the restrictions that are on her and how she starts to police or how she's always been policing herself so as not to invoke his bad temper. And really the story is all about how torture it is to be in a toxic relationship and what a hell of a ride it is to get out of one. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautifully written. It's very lyrical. Oh, we like the lyrical ones. We do. I marked so many sentences just because they struck me as beautiful. Also, I really loved it because it scared me a lot. Because lots of situations and notions and feelings that were portrayed in the book felt a little too familiar. Mm. I was reminded of past relationships, romantic and otherwise. Because non-romantic relationships can also be toxic. True. So that is why I loved it, because it scared me. It touched me. It reminded me of my life or the lives of the people around me. And I think that's always what makes a book really good in my eyes. When it portrays something so true that you can't shut your eyes from it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really like how how, um, Gibson took the vampire thing as just um, an increase of the metaphor of a man coming into your life and changing it. Mm-hmm. completely because he literally changes the core of her being and there's one quote that I want to read to you okay that really stuck with me and it's I wonder if you would have wanted me if you had found me like that vibrant and loved and alive mm-hmm. because when he finds her she is dying mm-hmm. and she's also pretty ready to be dead 
except for the fact that she would i mean she does want to live just not the way she is at that moment yeah and that is you know when you're that vulnerable that is the easiest way for someone to come in and take advantage of you even more so yeah i was angry a lot reading this which is a good sign i was angry and in awe of the language as well oftentimes i'm already looking forward to it also vampires yes i think at this point we need to explain our fixation on vampires the book we are co-writing has vampires in it it does also use the idea of vampires more as circumstance than that it is actually a book about being a vampire so our vampires we don't even they call them that to be vampires yeah they just happen to have lived for a couple of centuries so they know more than the general human they are stronger they react to things differently so yeah it's vampires in world war one so that's why we like always like to read books about vampires to see how other people write them and we put our hands on anything that is vampire at the moment yeah so yeah i will read that one maybe it will come up in the next reading wrap up <laughs> if i read it next month then we can see if you have the same feelings as i do or yeah if you fall in love with the vampire dude <laughs> i hope not i mean i wouldn't put it past me you are weird that way <laughs> yeah no can't, can't help it not, he's not that kind of villain ah, okay he's not a sexy villain Mm-mm. not a morally gray character he's just yeah. horrible yeah he's just deeply horrible okay then i won't like <laughs> i mean we'll see we'll see yeah never say never exactly my next book is the dry by jane harper show me the cover i will show you the this cover is... anyone listening can't see but i can mm-hmm. okay so it's very orange it looks like a war story yeah it is not it does look like one it's a, a crime novel i don't read a lot of those but i had heard very good things about this author specifically and about this book specifically it takes place in this very isolated community in the town of kiwara no idea how i should pronounce that so excuse me what uh, australia Okay. Yeah, it hasn't rained there for a very long time. So the community that consists mostly of farmers, they aren't doing very great. All of their crops are dying and things aren't aren't going great. And then one day, three members of a local family are shot. So they are found murdered, which then brings our main character to this town because he is a childhood friend of the father and he is now a federal police investigator so he gets sort of drawn into the investigation of the murders i did like it i think what jane harper does really well is create this sweltering heat like it sort of radiates out of the book how hot it is there they don't say, oh, it's so hot. It's just, it's, it's in how everything is dry, how there are fire alerts, how uh, faded all of the buildings and the benches and everything is. You get warm just reading it. So she does that you really, really well. <laughs> yeah, that's why I read it in summer. I read it on the only sunny day here in Belgium. So I uh, the timed question it. is, did you read it because it was a sunny day or was it a sunny day because you read it? <sighs> that is the question. What I also liked was that the main character, whose name is Aaron Fox, that he isn't like a traditional detective, like going in and doing a whole Sherlock thing. His actual job is following money trails to find like people who embezzle money or whatever. So he is asked by the parents of his childhood friend to just look into their financial situation just to see if there is something there 
And then he sort of falls into a whole investigation because he starts to figure out that things don't really add up, that there's something more going on. Did this book blow my mind? No, because the actual climax of the story where everything is revealed felt a bit off to me. Like there wasn't enough lead up to that. What do you call it? Like resolution. Usually I pick up on like little details pretty fast. So either I just wasn't paying enough attention or I missed them, but I would never have guessed how it was going to end. And it wasn't a good, I would never have guessed. It was like, oh, and then you see how she did it. it. It felt like there wasn't enough there to make it satisfying. But yeah, I, I still really liked it. I read it very fast and I have the sequel, which I will also read at some point. So maybe I'll read it next summer and hope for <laughs> warmer weather because it's really cold here now. So I'm not really yeah, in the mood <laughs> to read about hot days in Australia. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was The Dry by Jane Harper. Cool. I don't usually read crime. I don't read a lot of crime either i do like watching detective tv shows because i always want to figure out what's going on i like crime stories i just don't reach for them i think i would enjoy them but only if they're really really smart with the twists i remember a couple of years ago i read the seven deaths of evelyn hardcastle and i always messed up between that title and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Oh, because everyone does, I think, because they came out at the same time. They came out at the same time and it was so confusing. So many sevens. Yep. I really liked that book, though, because it I've was... not read either. It was very well done. Like, when the whole thing comes together, yeah, and just the lead-up, it was, it was really well done. I really liked that book. But I don't have that very often, where I read a book that has like some kind of mystery that needs solving. It has to be very, very strong in its build-up for me to like it. Otherwise, I'm always just a little bit let down. I read like cozy mysteries, mm -hmm. um, but I don't really read any crime novels. I always assume that I will be bored, which is a prejudice from my side, I'm sure. So I never reach for them. But I am kind of waiting for... A time in my life where I have a face and just read loads of them. Yeah. I have a feeling like that's coming at some point. It's just not happened yet. I still have to read my first Agatha Christie book. Oh, I like those. I, have... I read like one every two years or something. So I have, and then there were none on my shelf. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about reading it this fall, like as a lead up to Halloween, because I don't read horror. Spooky season. Yeah, I prefer cozy, spooky stuff instead yeah, of terrifying, spooky stuff. I don't, I don't really do terrifying. Yeah. I do We're depressing, but not terrifying. <laughs> I think the terrifying stuff often like, becomes very gory. And that just does nothing for me. And then I lose interest. Yeah, yeah exactly. Also, I'm, I'm not interested to read violence, especially mm -hmm. sexual violence, just for the thrill of the fear yeah me neither that does nothing for me no okay so to anyone who's listening uh if you have crime recommendations that are not gory or boring in any way please let us know because yeah. i am open to recommendations also um, give us anything and everything we should be reading during spooky season yes especially if it's cozy Yes, especially cozy, spooky stuff. Okay, what's your next book? Because we're almost there. I only have one left. So that yeah, means I you have, have two. I have two left. I'm actually going to talk about both of them now because I'm going to hog the time now. Um, Perfect, go. <laughs> they're very similar and very different at the same time. Um, they're both David versus Goliath. I think yeah. so. Right? They pronounce it Goliath. In Dutch, we pronounce it Goliath. Yeah, same in German. So anyway, I think it's Goliath. It's the oppressed versus the ruling class, mm -hmm. just in very different formats, but very similar settings. One is at A Wish in the Dark by Christina Suntonvat. Mm -hmm. um, it's a middle grade, actually. Okay. 
and it is stunning. I'm gonna show you. Yes, show me. Because it's stunning. Oh, I remember that one. You showed it to me when I was there. Yeah, I think I did. Because it was so pretty. You just had to yes. show me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I picked it up because it's so pretty. It said that it's a Thai-inspired fantasy world. And I was like, yes, I need that in my life. <laughs> um, and I love it. It is so heartwarming and whimsical and funny and serious at the same time. We follow this boy who is born in prison. Mm-hmm. Because his mom is in prison, um, but his mom dies in childbirth. And oh. the law is that if you are born in prison, you stay there until your mother is released or until you turn 13 years old. Okay. Um, but by the time he's nine years old, he is disillusioned about the, the weight that justice actually has in the world within the prison and outside of the prison. And he escapes. And the prison belongs to this city called Chatana, where... They have no fire because there was a great fire and they deemed fire too dangerous. So they now have light orbs that the dude they made governor afterwards um, brought to them. It's like mm. sort of electrical light, but mm. made by magic that only he has. So he has all the power. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> yes. How great for everyone, right? So the rich people have all the bright light all the warm light that keeps them from being cold all the hot light that boils their food um and the poor have the dim lights that are almost fading and that barely keep them warm and the government uh, like the governor because he is the government mm-hmm. wants to increase prices on the light orbs so that the poor couldn't even afford the dim ones anymore yeah and we find this boy a few years later, when he is 13 or 14 years old, still a fugitive, and he's back in the city and he joins rather unwillingly into the revolution against the ruling class. And it is in that way very much Thai inspired. Um, it has police brutality, it has a corrupt government, and it's so well done, for, especially for a middle grade. I, think. I don't read a lot of middle grades, so I don't really know. No, but it sounds very serious. For middle grade, not yeah. to say that all middle grade is like super easy and fluffy, but like it sounds like a very full topic to talk about, mm-hmm. especially in like middle grade, who which is typically a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. It is also like it's a very quick read, but it goes pretty deep, and I was surprised. I thought it would be more light-hearted than mm-hmm. it actually. Um, yeah. So I'm really, really glad that I picked it up. Sounds super interesting. Yeah. And the other book that I want to talk about is goes along the same lines. It's A Good True Tie by Sunisa Manning. Um, it's set during the student uprising of the 1970s in Thailand. Mm-hmm. So political uproar, basically the same story, but told differently. Yeah. Um, also no fantasy element here. It is fiction but it is very deeply set in the actual political situation of the 1970s. We follow three main characters from very different backgrounds. We have Det, who is royal, and he's benefiting from the system mm-hmm. that is in place. And then we have Chang, his best friend, who is actually from a poor family and lives in the slums. And Lek, a Chinese immigrant, who is very much looking forward to a revolution because she is convinced that the country needs one. And we followed them through their political awakening, uh, through their personal development, their coming of age, them experiencing love and questioning what it really means to love in like very different ways too. There's romantic love and friendship. That is a big theme, but also the love that you have for your country Mm -hmm. and how you categorize that love basically is it if you love your country do you have to accept your country as it is Mm -hmm. with the system in place or does it mean that you love the people of your country and you can change the system if you think the system is not just what adds to that is the fact that they have a royal family so what does your love for the king mean if it if it means anything at all especially for the character that because 
he is related to the king as well. So he's not just his king, he's also his grandfather, I think. And still he is joining into the revolution because he sees that the system in place is unjust. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of dilemmas that they face and that they have to learn to deal with while they slowly realize that no situation is ever black or white. Mm -hmm. There's always so many gray tones in between and you have to you have to decide for yourself how much do I fight for this ideal that I believe in and how much do I compromise how much of my ideal can be put into reality and how much can simply never happen serious topics (laughs) yes very serious and very timely as well if you look at Thailand at the moment and then what I also really liked is the way that we see the whole story unfold a lot through the eyes of Fleck because she is an immigrant mm-hmm. um, what does it mean for you as an immigrant to want to change the country you live in because it is your home and, mm. you know the aggression you have to face with people who think that you do not have the right to decide over which path the country should take because it is you know not your country and all the things that play into being an immigrant which I am not an immigrant so I can't fully relate um, but things like where she's discussing with her parents to either do things or not do things because it makes them look too Chinese mm-hmm. while they're living in Thailand. And then again, the language that plays into it, which I always fascinated when anything has to do with language. That reminds me of the On Earth We're Really Gorgeous too. Like at some point, the mother says to her son, uh, don't do this thing. We stand out enough as it is already Mm -hmm. and then also the language barrier is there too because his mom speaks Vietnamese and only very little English and Mm -hmm. he has to be sort of her translator that is always a very interesting aspect of any immigrant kid that they have to translate for their Mm -hmm. parents um, which I think is very a very big burden that's been laid on children I remember now there's one part and one sentence that goes something along the lines of um, love brings you to a different country and you learn the language only to understand what the people are saying about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that made me very emotional. I was going through the book this morning to find quotes that Mm -hmm. I or just to check which parts that I actually marked while reading it, because I remember reading it. I was thrown off rhythm. By the sentence structure a lot okay and a bit by the pacing of the story it just i never quite found my way in for oh like over half of the book i think until it really got into the flow and then is that because it has been translated into english or no i think it's written in english okay i think it's just the sentence structure a very specific way of writing it yeah yeah that just threw me off a bunch of times. But going through it this morning, I realized I actually marked a lot because it felt important. Mm-hmm. And tiny sentences that she wrote just felt huge. Um, one that I wrote out to read to you, you're welcome, <laughs> is um, the shaking rage of weak hands and small fists. Mm. And I think that encapsulates the story this one as well as a wish in the dark very well because you follow along the underdog trying to overcome such a huge force um, of power because it is just the people trying to overthrow the government Mm -hmm. to just fight for their right to exist yeah and they're doing it peacefully while the opposite side is using force Mm -hmm. and violence which, yeah, there's a lot of violence in this one. Not so much in A Wish in the Dark. In A Wish in the Dark, there's always the promise of violence. Like you yeah. can feel it bubbling under the surface. In a good Thai, it's more honest about it because well, one is middle grade and the other one is yeah. My turn? <laughs> yes, your turn. Okay. My last book is The Comfort Book by Matt Haig. Um, horrible. It does sound it does sound horrible, but I loved it. Did it comfort you? It did comfort me. Wait, is that the nonfiction you told? Me? It is the nonfiction that I 
told you about. People may know Matt Haig from his most recent novel, The Midnight Library, which has taken the bookstagram and booktube world by storm. Side note, I, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it either. I didn't hate it. It just didn't really do it for me. Like it made a lot of promises and then didn't really deliver or it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, basically. No, I could rage for a good 10 minutes if I wanted to. Yeah. But that that is not the topic of the day. That's not the, the book I want to talk about. No. Before I read The Midnight Library, I read How to Stop Time back in 2018, I think. That's where I sort of fell in love with his writing style. Because even though I didn't like The Midnight Library, he can be very lyrical with his writing, which, as we've established, is something that we like. I remember highlighting lots and lots of sentences in How to Stop Time. So I knew that I did actually like his writing. It was just The Midnight Library that sort of missed the mark for me. And I was actually looking for a, a completely different book when I came across this one and something just drew me to it so I decided to pick it up <laughs> and I'm really glad that I did the book is like part memoir where he talks about his depression and struggling with suicidal thoughts and everything that comes with that um, but it's also part poetry and quotes uh, it has recipes in it and lists and it's basically just a scrapbook of everything that came to him at that moment, I think. Because I think he wrote it during a lockdown last year. It also comes up, like the topic of being in lockdown also comes up. And I think what made me like it so much was the fact that I felt seen and I felt understood. Every couple of pages, I was like, yes. I have felt like that. And yes, I understand what you mean by that, which is a great experience to have when you're reading a book, to feel like you're looking in a mirror and seeing your own feelings reflected, reflected back at you. It did comfort me. So it did what it says on the tin. Uh, it made me smile. It also made me tear up a couple of times because it did hit home quite hard sometimes. I'm trying to find like some things, because I wrote down a couple of quotes that I really like. There was one like in the beginning, like it's all very short bits, like I can like show you. I know I can't show our audience, but I can show you. I can tell you it's short bits. Yes, some bits are longer. Very helpful. Yeah, some bits are like two pages, two pages and a half. Most of them are a good page or less one that I really liked was uh, or is called a thing I discovered recently and then it says I love stillness slowness when nothing is happening the blueness of the sky inhaling clean air birdsong over traffic lone footsteps spring flowers blooming with defiance I used to think the quiet patches felt dead now they feel more alive like leaning over and listening to the earth's heartbeat. I thought that was very pretty. Aww. And then um, there is a recipe for hummus in here. And also one for peanut butter on toast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I like hummus. I don't think I need a recipe for peanut butter on toast. That's, um, that's the brilliant. Good to have. That's the brilliant thing about it. It is a step-by-step -step guide on how to I make mean, peanut butter on toast and it made me smile lie. because it's so simple and I don't I think the the idea behind it is that he's explaining this thing to you that you know how to do so you don't feel completely stupid because you have made toast probably it's like not gonna lie though I've had days where I could have used a step-by-step -step of how to make peanut butter on toast just because I was not in a mind space where I managed anything at all. Yeah, well, he goes there clear too. instructions. So yeah. Maybe uh, it's not the worst idea. Another one that I really liked from like almost the end of the book is the messy miracle of being here. 
It says the Western idea of self-empowerment requires you to become better, discover your inner billionaire, get beach-bodied, work, upgrade. It says the present is not enough. It's self-loathing masquerading as salvation. We need self-acceptance, self-compassion. Our present bodies and minds and lives are not things we have to escape. We need to remember the messy miracle of being here. When you make a collection of like snippets, because that's what they are, just snippets of thoughts, they lead up to the point <laughs> very quickly because you only have like 10 sentences sometimes to make your point. So they're very clear and they just cut right to the feeling, which I like. You don't always have to twist and turn around it. You can just say what you want to say. And he does that very well. So I will definitely be coming back to this one to go through the lists because there are lists of books, lists of movies, lists of music, just things that he connected with. It's basically just a scrapbook of his mind. And I really liked it. That so, is yeah. pretty cool. I'm a big fan of lists, so yeah. I'm sold. <laughs> Anyways, I took a risk buying this book and I don't regret it. So yay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything turned out well. Okay, so what are you reading now? Are you reading something currently? I am. Um, I'm reading multiple things. I'm going to tell you about two of them. Okay. Yes, I am reading more than two books at once because I can. <laughs> so why wouldn't I? Um, one of them is Dune by Frank Herbert. Yes. I've been wanting to read it for a while. I think everyone knows Dune probably. It's uh, one of it's... the best sold science fiction books ever. I think it's a modern yeah. classic. Um, there's a motion picture coming out September, I think. Soon, yeah, soon. And I really don't know what it is about. I, I do know a little now because I've started, but I'm going in pretty blind. I just wanted to read it before the movie comes out. Yeah, me too. I've seen it everywhere all the time. Like you cannot pass the sci-fi section without seeing Dune. So I figured I do want to read it. So I'm doing it. But I have to say, I'm on page 136. And since I started, I picked up and read about three different books. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not really in the story yet, although it's not bad at all. It's all fine. I cited but it too. I can't remember if it was this month or last month because I bought it when I was in Switzerland. Yeah, I remember. And then I read not even 100 pages. I don't think I'm 100 pages in. But I want to finish it too, so I will probably try and read more of that yes, this month. You can do a body read. <gasps> yeah. But yeah, it's it's a chunky boy. It's uh, almost 900 pages. Well, so far, the little that I have read, it doesn't feel like it drags. It moves. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. It moves pretty quickly. I yeah. think. Um, and the other one I started is The Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Ogawa. Ogawa? Ogawa? I don't know. It's a story about a housekeeper um, no. and a professor who would have Really? Thought, yes, <laughs> I'm spoiling everything here. Um, yeah, but the professor has uh, memory loss. He okay. only remembers the last 80 minutes oh. at any given moment. And he remembers everything up to a certain time in his life when he had an accident. And since then, he only remembers the last 80 minutes. So every morning when she starts work she has to reintroduce herself mm -hmm. and when she goes out to shop she has to make sure that she's back before 18 minutes have passed otherwise she has to reintroduce herself again yeah um, i'm not very far in i only just started but so far i really like the chemistry between the housekeeper and the professor and um, there's a lot of math because he is obsessed with numbers and whenever he doesn't know what's going on or he's unsure of himself or the situation he returns to math and just he asks her every morning what her shoe size is <laughs> because that, finds, that's what matters yeah and then he finds weird connections between the numbers of her phone number and her shoe size and stuff like that it's 
It's really strange. I really like it so far. Okay. I started reading Atonement by Ian McEwan a couple of days ago. I've never I, read anything by him. I've read quite a few things by him. I've read, wait, let's see, On Chessel Beach. And then the first book I ever read in English was Enduring Love um, because they had it in the school library. And that was just the one that I happened to pick up. And then recently, well, I say recently, it's a couple of years ago, I read Nutshell, which I really liked because it's it's Hamlet. So Shakespeare's Hamlet, mm -hmm. but told from the point of view of an unborn baby. So the unborn baby is Hamlet. And okay, interesting. Yeah, so he hears conversations from the womb. He can also, I don't know, not taste, but experience the wine that his mother is drinking and stuff. So he comments on that. He's like Stewie from Family Guy. That's how he sounds or oh, wow. reads. Yeah, like very smart and snarky. And he basically finds out that his mom is having an affair with his uncle. They are planning to run away together. So it's Hamlet. They are planning on murdering his dad. So yeah, it's, it's very weird, but it, somehow it just works. I really like that book. So yeah, now I'm reading Atonement because I saw the movie a long, long time ago and have forgotten most of it, which means that now is the time to read the book <laughs> so that I don't spoil myself. So right now, reading the book, I have no idea how it's going to end, even though I've seen the movie a long, long time ago. I just don't remember. Oh, that's good, though, because otherwise, when I've seen the movie, which is why I'm reading Dune now, before the movie comes mm -hmm. out, because I feel like I maybe want to see it. But once you watch the movie, it gets uh, more difficult to read the book, True. even though the book is probably still better than the movie, because you get so much more insight into a story when you mm -hmm. have like four or 500 pages instead of just two hours. But since you know how it's going to end, there's just the urgency that's taken away from reading. Yes, true. And then I will also read Dune at some yes. point. And other than that, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like in a sort of in-between state. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was all I had to say. Oh, I'm already looking forward to editing this one. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking long. <laughs> how long have we been going? It's four o'clock now. We've been at this for ages. Like over two hours. Oh my God. Have fun listening to all of this. We hope you enjoyed the Broken Spines at the End of the World podcast. If you like books, either reading them or writing them or both, maybe, stick around and join us again in our next episodes where we'll talk more about our writing process because we are, in fact, writing a book together. And where we'll just gush about the books that we've loved so far. So if you're still looking for recommendations, this is the place to be. Until then, have a good day. Bye.